All right, let's try again. Matthew 19. Now when Jesus had finished this sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. So we have a, a nice transition statement by Matthew. Uh, most of what's happened in the early part of ministry uh, for Jesus was in the northern section, right? It was where his disciples were from, where the fishermen were from. It was the Sea of Galilee area. It was Capernaum. It was, you know, the storm across the lake and all those sorts of things. That was all happening uh, in those neighborhoods, not far from the hometowns of most of the disciples. Um, and it says, now there's this transition. It says, he went away from Galilee and entered into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. So as people generally made their way south, um, and if they happened to be on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, as they approached Jerusalem, for whatever reasons terrain-wise, and I would defer to those that have had the privilege of visiting, apparently it was easier to cross eastward across the Jordan and travel south on the eastern side of the Jordan. I guess it was just an easier trip. And then that would put people uh, on the east side of the river, on the Jericho side of the river, and then they would have to cross westward to get into Jerusalem. So um, that's kind of what had happened here. So it says when he was in the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. In verse 2, And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him. So this is going to be a passage. Um, we're going to talk a lot about marriage and divorce. That's kind of the topic. But I don't want you to lose sight of the, the, the context of this because that's as important, if not maybe even more so, because uh, this is really about another encounter with the Pharisees. Now, we've seen some encounters with the Pharisees already. But now it says the Pharisees came up to him and tested him. So if you look at this from the Pharisees' perspective, okay, we've been hearing about this rabbi up, I don't know, 40 or 50 miles away. Uh, we hear he's been doing a lot of stuff. He's doing some supernatural things. He's doing some healing. We're he hearing the words of this. He's pretty slick with his words. We haven't been able to trip him up yet. Well, now look what's happening. Now, he's drawing big crowds, and now he's at our doorstep. Think, this isn't going away like we hoped it would. And now, it's not only hasn't gone away, this problem of this crazy rabbi, but now he's getting close. So you can imagine from their perspective, uh, they need to ramp up the opposition, and that's what's happening here. Verse 2, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. So you take a large crowd of just onlookers, and now you've turned them to a large crowd of first-hand testimonials. There's nothing, trust me, in my line of work, there's nothing more powerful than a first-hand account. I can't tell you how many people who come in with a headache, and their headache has gone bonkers because their next-door neighbor or their second cousin from Alaska or somebody was diagnosed with a brain tumor. <laughs> For the record, brain tumors rarely start off as headaches. Now, if you have a seizure, that's another story. 
in any event, first-hand accounts, very powerful, and now there are just bukus of these folks. Verse 3, and the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking. So here's the, here's the setup. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Hmm. Already, that sounds like a testy question. I know if somebody came up with me with that one, I would, I would want to know, okay, why are you asking this, and just how much trouble is it, am I about to get in? Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So Jesus, being amazing and also God, uh, he sees this right away for the trap that is uh, at least being attempted to being set. He answered, haven't you read? In other words, I see what you're trying to do here. So I'm going to call you out. Haven't you read what God said about marriage? So they have said, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, they're going to bring up Moses in a moment. Well, Jesus knows what's going on. So he says, no, I'm not going where you want to take me. Let's go back to what God's original intention was. Let's go back to Genesis. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. So, marriage, designed by God, out of his awareness of uh, what our needs were and, and, and how we were designed, male and female, this was God's idea to, uh, at the very first, the earliest, um, the earliest relationship aside from that between the Trinity itself and between the Trinity and Adam was the relationship between Adam and Eve. So, the one of the earliest of relationships there was. Uh, created by God. And so he takes them back there and says, yeah, so you're not two anymore. You're one flesh. So God put these people together. So so stay together. That's pretty much what Jesus is saying. And they said, well, verse 7, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Well, he sidesteps one of their issues. He says, verse 8, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it wasn't so. So it says, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? So they are quoting, or actually misquoting, Deuteronomy 24. You can turn there if you want. You don't have to. I probably should since I'm teaching. (laughs) Verse 1 of Deuteronomy 24, it says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, 
If then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house and she departs out of his house and if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she's been defiled for that's an abomination. Wow, so that's a lot. And this is a very unfortunate woman. Um, There's nothing in that first verse, unlike what the Pharisees have done to frame the question, there's nothing in that verse that commands a person to divorce. They said, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Well, that wasn't what was done, right? Um, it's a it's a pretty uh, old technique to try to find some justification for your position, and if that means twisting a reference, or in this case, a Bible reference to your advantage, well, okay. Uh, we are in the um, the season of political discourse, I guess we're always in that season, but especially so now, and regardless of your position, that's politics, right? It's making your case, and if that means bending a reference a bit here or there, that's just what you do. I'm not endorsing that by any means, but that is what is done. So they've tried to twist the command. There was no command to give divorce. And one of the concepts, just to speak on this for a minute, one of the concepts in this uh, set of verses is actually arguing against a frivolous divorce. Uh, When it says finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. Um, there was talk about inde- what, what does this word indecency mean? And I'll talk about that in a moment. But this other thing where after she has been remarried, the first husband can't go back and remarry her. Um, that was in essence to protect the wife so that the husband couldn't just say, okay, I'm going to divorce you, and then, you know, two months later say, okay, it's fine, come on back. And then, no, I divorce you again. And then, you know, the next week, uh, yeah, you're, you're fine, come on back. You know, I mean, you can't hold the threat of that constant divorce over a person if it was going to be done for frivolous means. So in essence, this was kind of a protection um, for the wife. Back in those days, it was almost initiated by the, the husband. So back to, uh, back to Matthew. Uh, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he says, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you, so he's kind of co- correcting them here. He allowed you, did not command you. He allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So once again, he calls them back to God's original intention. 
And then he goes on, verse 9, and makes explicit what his opinion is. He says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. So this opens up the, the topic of the day. So there was a lot of controversy among the rabbis as to that verse back in Deuteronomy where it says um, if he's found some indecency in her, there was a, a question as to what does that indecency mean? Um, it might be a little more succinct if I read this. Um, or maybe not. There were, it's easy for me to remember this, to find my notes. Um, so there were two uh, rabbis' opinions on this thing. Uh, the more conservative rabbi defined indecency as basically sexual immorality. That if there had been sexual immorality, then the husband could divorce the wife. And because this was an allowance by God, you know, man's not supposed to break divorce, but God can break divorce, then he was free to uh, divorce her and then to remarry. There was another uh, set of rabbinical thought where indecency could be almost anything. Um, the, the more liberal, we might say, rabbi of the day said, you know, if she's not a good cook, then she can be divorced. I mean, that was one of the written opinions. Yeah, if, if she just makes a dish that's just not good, then you're fine. Divorce her. For heaven's sake, why wouldn't you? Uh, and then one even extended and said, eh, you know, if she's just not looking so great anymore and you find somebody better. That's how the slippery slope, or that's how slippery the slope would begin. So... You know, there were several layers to what the Pharisees were doing, right? They were, they were wanting to know, where's his stance on this? Uh, this seems like a tricky question, guaranteed to make somebody mad. Uh, let's see how he navigates this. No matter what he says, we can probably have some angle to attack him on. But he continually calls them back to how it was to begin with. And, uh, and... And, and really makes the whole concept of divorce um, clearly never God's original intention. It shouldn't be easy. It shouldn't be frivolous. And it, there should be a lot of caution here because it has implications for what that divorced person, whether they're free to get remarried. So... This isn't all of the Bible's teaching on divorce. Now, Matthew has touched on this back in chapter 5, verse 31. And, you know, he's going through a, a, a list of the various um, laws. And you remember the theme of, of Matthew 5 was basically, here's what the law says but I'm calling you to something better and different that's going to be a fulfillment of the law, right? So he's 
continuing, he's starting to, back in chapter 5, he's starting to uh, display, you know, you guys have been quibbling about the finer points of the law, but in essence it's so diluted from God's original intention, but there's a new thing coming that's going to fix all this so that you won't even need all these laws because you're going to be changed from the inside. You're not going to have the law working on you from the outside. You're going to have a new law within you. And, of course, Paul develops this more fully. But uh, Matthew 5.31, it says, Whoever divorces his wife... Oh, he says, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So again, the point in Matthew uh, 19 is uh, calling people back to God's original intention. The point in Matthew 5 is uh, those laws that you're quibbling about, um, those were never God's original intention either. Yes, the law was given by God and it was there for a purpose, but that time frame is starting to elapse. For additional teaching on the topic of divorce, let's go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I should more properly say for more teaching about marriage because that's more fully in the first part of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 it basically says um, you know you're going to be tempted to have sex before marriage so so just get married I mean that's a short version but that's pretty much what he says and of course the, the, the favorite verse of every uh, student at a Christian college is it's better to marry than to burn that, that was the verse that was quoted uh, quite often. He says um, in verse 8, uh, to the unmarried and the widows, I can say it's good for them to remain single as I am, but if they can't exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Again, what are the general concepts? The general concepts are um, marriage has a place, has a purpose. Um, By all means, get married. Not everyone can be single the way I am, Paul at the time. Some people think that Paul got married later. But um, he says, so yeah, if you're married, uh, and then he launches into this situation, you know, now you've got new Christians, right? The resurrection is not many years hence. You've got people who got married um, before there was such a thing as being saved. Uh, and now you have the situation where you've got a married couple and one's a believer now. One's a Christian now. Well, what does that mean? Does that... 
I'm a new creation. Does that mean we just kind of call it good and we each move on as if we were never married? No, that's, that's not what he says. Verse 12, it says, To the rest I say, if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. And if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Now a couple of verses that at first hearing might sound a bit confusing. Verse 14, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Well, if you're married and not a Christian, and your spouse is a Christian, does that mean you get to become a Christian because your spouse is one? No. The marriage covenant is a big deal, but it doesn't have salvation properties to it. Um, They're basically saying that, you know, you're going to have a home where God's welcome there, and you're going to have a godly influence in that home. Uh, You're going to have a godly influence over your children. Um, There's going to be a much better opportunity for uh, God to reign in that household because you've got one of the members of the marriage that is a Christian. That's, That's the concept there, and so that makes sense, of course. Verse 15, it says, But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. The brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Um, in other words, if you're in this you know, situation where um, one member of the couple gets saved and, and the other person says, I'm not living with a Christian. That's not the way I believe. Um, our marriage can't go on like this. Then, you know, if the other person leaves, then, you know, the believing spouse hasn't committed a sin, right? It's not their fault that the other person left. It says God has called you to peace. Paul's talking about how to, you know, when relationships are broken, what, how do you deal with this? And it's no accident, I think, that, you know, parts of Matthew 18 talked about working through conflict and if your brother sins and how do you reconcile that person the whole topic is about reconciliation with relationships so in Matthew 18 it flows pretty nicely into Matthew 19 that okay here's a big relationship let's talk about this one well same thing in 1 Corinthians Um, 1 Corinthians 6 Paul has talked about taking people to court is it proper for Christians to take each other to court? You know, how do we, you know, how do we work through all that? And then there's a section on sexual immorality, and then verse 7 flows right into principles for marriage. And so um, these things, these concepts kind of flow together. So the big idea is um, about marriage is that it is a big deal. It is a covenant before God. Um, it's not meant to be entered into uh, lightly, um, and it shouldn't be easy to get out of either. Uh, and it's never God's intention. I came across a phrase in a couple of commentaries that I don't understand it quite enough to defend it, but I'll mention it because I it it showed up in several commentaries. It says. Divorce is not morally neutral. 
I admit you, I, I've not heard phrasing like that before. So divorce is not morally neutral. And I think the point is that they're saying at the heart of any divorce is probably someone's sin, right? You've got two sinners in a relationship and they've taken their eyes off God, one or the other, and things have just not gone well after that. And so, you know, but at the same time, you know, I think we at least have moved away a little bit from, or maybe a lot, from this, um, uh, from this notion that if a person has been divorced, that they are somehow permanently stained, you know. Um, you know, God can forgive anything, um, regardless of what the sin is. So, you know, divorce is no worse than a lot of other things we do all the time. It does have a lot of repercussions, though, right? As those of you who've been through the process or have had families who've been through the process, I don't know of anybody that want to sign up to go through that again um, or would ever recommend it for someone to go through again as a, as a first choice. But there are some crazy things that are happening. For the last two or three years, I've been taking care of a patient um, whose husband has just gone off the rails you know uh, they went from your classic couple couple of kids nice home paying off their mortgage both people working um, and he decides to go bonkers and next thing you know two years later um, he's strung out on crack and sleeping with somebody there was a raid at their house within the past month or two um, she came to find out he'd not been making mortgage payments for the last two or three years, and so she doesn't even have any equity in their house because it got foreclosed on. I mean, yeah, so should she get away from him? Absolutely. And there was infidelity, I mean, the whole thing. So divorce does allow for a person to be, to be able to get out of that relationship, and um, she can hold her head high, right? I mean, she has nothing to be ashamed of. Would it have been her preference? No. Um, is there a part of her that still misses the person that she was originally married to? Yes. I mean, divorce is awful, and of course we should do everything in our power to protect uh, marriages and to, and to be careful. Uh, there's been some very high-profile um, Christian marriages through the years that have... Um, left lots of people shaking their heads, you know, how could this have happened sort of comments. Um, I, I feel a lot of compassion for any freshman right now at Liberty University. Their heads must be spinning. Um, but, uh, you know, if you do a little research, it sounds like there have been some warning signs about their president uh, for a while, and, and it sounds like maybe some things have been swept under the rug. and. Um, uh, you know, I think it's it's reasonable, more than reasonable, when we're, if we see a couple who's struggling, the current, the current climate is, man, I'm not getting involved with that. I just, I'm not getting involved with that. Uh, that's messy, I'm staying out of it. 
I'll pray for them, but um, yeah, I'm just I'm not getting involved with that. Um, it's messy. Um, Merritt and I have been involved with three Christian couples over the past 20 years who have been uh, confronted with a marriage on the rocks because of infidelity. Close friends of ours. Um, At every, with each one, we tried to apply the concepts of Matthew 19. Some of the most awkward, unpleasant, embarrassing, uncomfortable conversations I've ever had. And I'm supposed to talk about nasty stuff for a living. Um, it's horrible. One person I'm not sure ever made many I'm sorry's went on to get married to the person that they were in adultery with. One couple um, did the same thing, um, but that marriage eventually failed. One couple got right with God. said they were sorry there was grace and forgiveness and now ten years later they will tell you their marriage is better than it ever was before Um, the difference between all three of them was whether any of them wanted to set aside their own notions of what was right in exchange for what God thought was right um I can tell you which couple is happy without guilt and that can hold their head really high. I can tell you which one of those can happen. So, there are about as many scenarios you could come up with as far as um, the implications of divorce and remarriage and all that. I'll pause here if anybody has anything. And I'll be happy to direct the questions to Dad. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you got any any questions, um, let them let them let them come. Um, yes. Just a comment from from my experience with this kind of situation. Uh, one of the four four Christians. The hardest thing is to not automatically condemn a person who is in that situation with potential divorce and divorce. We need to support them and encourage them uh, through the process, not condemn them. And I think that's a it's a very difficult thing to do, but if you can't do that. You need to back away and not do anything. You can't, if you can't help them and remind them of God's love and God's forgiveness 
and you know just just be there for them be, the, be a friend close friend because they need that I think as much as anything sure um uh, you know, Christians still need Jesus, right? In case, in case, uh, you know, maybe I'm speaking for myself, but yeah, Christians still need Jesus, right? We still need um, to be able to lay our sins on the altar. We still need to be able to receive that forgiveness. Um, we we should try to help. We don't get the right as Christians to be Pharisees, right? We don't get the right to um, to just be a critic. Right? Some people say, well, you know, you can't judge me. Well, no, but the, the Bible can, you know, and, and you can call people to, you know, is, is what's going on lining up with Scripture? Right? And, and are you working on that or are you not working on that? I mean, those are, those are, I mean, that's a valid question, I think, for any believer, right? Um, and they could say, well, you do so-and-so, and you could say, guilty, and by God's grace, I'm working on that. All right, so what's your response? Guilty, or are you justifying, right? Um, so it's, it's how you respond to God's word that is the biggest deal for practically everything, right? What else? All right, if you do have questions, um, we're going to talk about other relationship-oriented stuff next week. So um, if you do have those, uh, bring them next time. All right, let's pray. Father, you had such great things in mind for us in the garden, the way things um, were intended. Uh, Help us to... be reminded that one day you're going to make your intentions come through and 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 thank you for Jesus through whom you're going to make that happen. Father, we ask your Holy Spirit to convict us where we uh, need convicting to to stay on the right path of, of growth, whether in marriage or in singleness. We pray that you give us a boldness to Come alongside those who maybe are hurting and struggling in this area. And Father, I pray that you give us all um, the right measure uh, for ourselves and for others of grace and truth through whom uh, or through which we can receive um, peace going forward and uh, a testimony to your faithfulness. Uh, We thank you uh, for all the things you're doing in us and through us. In Jesus' name. Thanks, everybody.